You are listening to The Political Periscope, a weekly podcast brought to you by Radio WNET. Interviews on international politics, security, geopolitics, economy and more, every Thursday at 7pm. Today's guest of The Political Periscope is Dimitri Rupel, sociologist, politologist, diplomat, former Minister of the Foreign Affairs of the Republic of Slovenia. Political Periscope. Let me start with the obvious question and the obvious thing that's ongoing. Uh, you, with your very rich experience in international matters, last day we've seen a horrible shelling of Ukraine by Russia. What should be the world response? Oh, that's that's a difficult question. As you know, Slovenia will not uh, have a very prominent role in resolving the problem. We are observing whatever goes on, but certainly the Ukrainian-Russian war does have an effect on uh, Slovenia as well. In Slovenia, there are people who um, have some reservations regarding uh, the support to Ukraine. And I um, often wonder why is that. Slovenia has had some problems regarding, you know, clearing up or doing away with uh, the um, traditions of former communist regime. You understand that because Poland may be in the same situation, may, may have been in the same situation. I know that Poland has been much more effective, much more energetic regarding doing away with the remains of communism and so on. But still, we have here people who doubt about the rights of Ukrainians to take arms from uh, the West and, um, you know, antagonizing Russians, they would rather see uh, an end to that war because uh, then the energy issues and uh, oil and gas and food issues, financial, economic situation might improve and so on and so on. So there is a lot of very selfish mood in Slovenia about this war. The government has been very careful not to say something like that. Certainly, uh, you know, Slovenia is a member of NATO and European Union, but uh, one of the parties in the governing coalition, in the government coalition, so-called the left. They um, oppose NATO, they they oppose um, support to Ukraine or sending armaments or whatever weapons to Ukrainians. The situation changed a little after the elections in April. Um, now we have a uh, quite, or shall I say, very much left-leaning government that has this kind of attitude. Now, what could be done? I uh, don't see any other possibility than to support Ukraine, you know, in whatever way it's, it's, it's possible, since we don't want to, or shall I say, we should be aware of some historical parallels. Um, in 1938, uh, the West was um, sort of um, tolerant and constructive about uh, the plans uh, of Adolf Hitler and Chamberlain supported uh, occupation of Sudetenland and Czechoslovakia and so on and then the war started. So um, we should be very careful not to allow such a situation to develop in Ukraine. Um, Ukraine is is a European country, um, as is Russia, or, or at least great part of it, and uh, has the right to to um, 
choose whatever membership or, or policy it wants to, to choose. But um, certainly the situation is getting quite complicated because of Russian impatience and uh, Putin's uh, rhetoric concerning atomic weapons and so on. So that, that's, that's no joke. And I think that uh, the threats have been made by him to scare the West. And so that the West would at one particular moment start being more constructive regarding Russia, that uh, they would be that they would be afraid of World War Three and so on and so on. And you don't need a lot of imagination to see what the consequences of such so called pacifism or isolationism could be. I know that Poland is, is extremely energetic regarding the support of, of Ukraine. It has according to my knowledge, accepted millions of, of Ukrainians uh, taking the kids, the Ukrainian kids to, to Polish schools and so on and so on. So you are doing a lot and I think that that should be appreciated. I'm afraid that Polish effort is not being sufficiently supported in Slovenia or sufficiently understood in Slovenia. Here, we, especially in our media, mainstream media, often hear, often read about uh, rule of law being in danger in Poland and in Hungary, of course, and now in Italy. Um, and uh, th there is a serious misunderstanding going on. As far as I'm concerned, I see Slovenia as a, as a part of Central Europe and a part of the uh, series of countries uh, going from, from the Baltic countries to, to, to the south, to, uh, if you want, to Romania and Bulgaria, Slovenia certainly, and Croatia. Now, I think that we must be very, very tough regarding the Ukrainian issue. My feeling is that Poland is leading the initiatives or leading the policy of firm stand, firm policy towards Russia. The more you go to the West, less such um, firmness exists. I, I wish that Slovenia would be much more similar to Poland and to other Central European countries. But of course, uh, the, the, the government that we have now is a little difficult in this respect. And I must also mention the fact that we shall have presidential elections in a couple of weeks and that this issue is coming up in, in debates. And um, some of the candidates are being very careful not to be too resolute <laughs> because that might scare away voters. That, that's, that's a very complex situation, especially uh, since uh, this is an election time. Slovenia has uh, its history of also breaking out of the foreign rule in some way. Of course, uh, I mean the independence from Yugoslavia, from Serbian rule. Slovenia had this, I don't want to call it luck, but a chance to um, suffer only very little in this process, comparing to other former Yugoslavian countries. But you've seen, for example, Srebrenica and other genocidal methods used by Belgrade. Do you think that the parallel is somehow justified between what Ukraine is doing now, fighting against Moscow and Yugoslavian countries fighting against uh, Serbian oppression, Ser Serbian rule? You know, in a way, there are similarities between the Yugoslav crisis and present uh, Russian-Ukrainian war. Certainly, the Yugoslav crisis has, has not been as violent as, uh, as the present war. This is the first real war after World War II. Now, um, the uh, conflict is quite uh, easy to understand. You know, in, in Yugoslavia, you had 
the post-communist groups or parties or, or republics uh, that wanted to um, keep Yugoslavia together, to keep uh, unity of Yugoslavia with, with whatever means uh, Milosevic and and the generals and so on. Now, in uh, you know the idea of keeping the socialist empire, or in Yugoslavia it's difficult to talk about empire, but to, to keep a a socialist formation together, to keep the borders that have been drawn after World War II. This idea is is absolutely uh, evident in in Russia now. Russia wants to reverse the processes that have happened uh, 30 years ago with the end of uh, the Cold War, and uh, they are doing whatever Yugoslavia was doing 30 years ago, they are doing this 30 years afterwards, 30 years later. Now, um, I don't want to go too deeply into the similarities, but certainly what has to be understood is that we still have a post-communist mentality in the countries that have not um, been uh, radical enough. I have talked to your prime minister once, Morawiecki, he said that after integration of the two Germanys, only 30% of the judges or the people employed by the courts could continue. They would be letting the 70% of the personnel go. This has not happened in Yugoslavia. This has not happened in Slovenia. It has not quite so much happened in Poland. And that's why Poland is now trying to um, do amends, to correct uh, the policies that keep the old habits intact and prolong some sort of mentality. I don't know how this uh, is uh, going on, how successful Poland is or can be, but certainly I'm full of admiration for the Polish policy. There was an interview by in Morawiecki in the German uh, weekly Der Spiegel which impressed me very much. I think that we all have to defend democracy and wherever there is no democracy you know introduce it but it's so difficult. The the uh, forces of the past are heavy and, and, and very very dangerous. So what do you think about those accusations of European Commission towards Poland uh, of lack of democracy in Poland now in Italy? Of course, these countries are different. They differ from each other. They have different stories to tell. Italy is a special case. I'm not afraid of fascism in Italy because Italy is, how shall I say, a very chaotic political community country. And uh, certainly once, you know, people who have been saying all kinds of things, once they come to the government, they they come to their offices, they must adapt to, to reality. Now, as far as Poland is concerned, it's a different case. Poland is absolutely justified and has all the right to defend its system, its reforms. Also, Morawiecki said that uh, the same system of judicial reform that that you have introduced has been introduced in Spain, but uh, nobody was paying attention. Nobody cared about Spain. Only Poland was was being targeted. So this is a serious situation which really can destroy or at least affect the fabric of the European Union system. 30 years back, there was total unanimity and Eastern European, Central European countries wanted to do the same thing as Western democracies were doing. Now, if, let's say, Germans or the French would not support Poland or um, Czech Republic or, or Hungary or, um, I don't know, the 
Baltic countries, Slovenia, Croatia. If this happens, there will be there will be a serious problem. And I, I know that there are some people who, who prepare themselves for an eventual situation if European Union falls apart, some new associations, some new organizations should be introduced. Germany, I don't know what, what happens now with, with this Russian war, but Germany had the intention, if you look at the political programs of social democrats, they were really trying to put together or to introduce in Europe some sort of federal system, the European Union as a federation, um, as a state. Now, for, for Eastern Europeans or the the countries that have only recently accepted or, or introduced democracy, uh, this is this is not an, an easy issue. Let's touch on the topic of Hungary. There are accusations of lack of democracy. This is one thing. And another thing is uh, actually Hungary right now is breaking this uh, solidarity, unanimity in European Union in regard of war in Ukraine. I have my serious doubts about our Hungarian friends. On one hand, of course, Orban tries to please his electorate. <laughs> and, and nobody wants the electorate to be freezing during, during winter. And he's trying to make a compromise. So he's in a special situation because he doesn't have his own resources or has few resources. Uh, but I think that um, here one should speak to, to Hungarians very seriously and uh, try to persuade them that, that, they, that they support the common uh, European uh, actions concerning uh, gas from Russia or energy issues which are on the agenda. And uh, the democracy, do you think the democracy in Hungary is in danger? Well, I have heard various, various voices. Some people are very serious about their complaints. But in a way, I see Orban doing the same thing that should be done also here. <laughs> you know, this country has never recovered from, recovered from communism, from, from, let's say, left-leaning radicalism, revolutionary ideas, you know, red stars and, and Hammond sickle flags are being you know, shown from time to time. It's a, very, it's a very annoying kind of situation, but I guess that well, with time, things will, will calm down. On the other hand, young generation who have not lived under socialism, who have not experienced any any problems with uh, with life uh, under communists, they play with words, they play with with ideas, they play with policies. The uh, party that I have mentioned, the Slovenian Left, they uh, oppose NATO. They want to abandon, to leave the capitalist system, introduce socialist measures to go back to Yugoslav non-alignment policies and so on. I mean, a lot of ideas that I personally have contradicted and fought practically half of my life that represented the essence of, of our liberation movement. All these ideas are coming back and, and as if they had not, uh, they had not ruined um, half of, of this country in the past. The war is, uh, World War II is still glorified as a victory against fascists and now the left-leaning parties call the opposition, let's say right-wing or 
center-right parties, they call them fascists. So it's imagination that uh, is coming from, I don't know, 100 years back, 80 years back. You've mentioned uh, some initiatives inside of European Union that, in the case of its collapse, could somehow replace it. There is one initiative in European Union in which uh, Poland and uh, Slovenia are involved, I mean, Free Seas Initiative. Is it known in Slovenia? Do you think it can work? This initiative has been advocated by our president, the, the outgoing president, Mr. Pahor. Of course, uh, it has been advocated by the former Prime Minister Jansha. I don't think it's so popular with the present government. I feel that the idea of this, how shall I say, this centerpiece of Europe is absolutely a fascinating idea. We must remember or we must think of a situation when Germany, for instance, let's put the war into brackets for, for the moment. Germany would like to make Europe one one country, one federation. And then, you know, if the three C's initiative, our countries would oppose that, Germans would say, okay, we can we can do it on our own. You can leave if you want. They might have an initiative to call another convention, establish or adopt a new constitution, a new kind of constitution that failed back in, in 2005, as, as you know, the referenda and so on. I was in the convention at that time, and we were expecting to make a constitution which was very, very, I would say, it was not a unifying system. It was a system that was quite differentiated still. Even, of course, Germans were most prominent in that initiative, but it, it, didn't, it didn't work in France and, and in the Netherlands. Anyway, if such an idea, or more radical version of such an idea, federation, European federation, came to the table, to the agenda of the European Union, I'm sure that quite a number of countries would object and then Germans would say, okay, if you don't want to do it, uh, we shall do it on our own and, and leave you on the other side. This is the reason why Eastern Europeans trust Americans more than Germans. Sometimes here in Slovenia even, you would hear, ah, we are sitting on the French-German train. It's the, the French-German locomotive driving European Union. Here, there is a lot of skepticism regarding America, regarding NATO. You are in a much better position that, that in that respect. But who knows what will happen? Um, I, I understand why, why Eastern Europeans are more inclined towards America than to, let's say, to the leading countries of the European Union. What do you think? When will the war end? Well, if Putin tries some adventurous move, like tactical nuclear weapon lanced against Ukraine, that might scare the West. And here I'm not sure that Western countries would be willing to get engaged in a war, in a nuclear war. That would be World War III. Um, so that would serve perhaps to um, exert some sort of pressure against um, Ukrainians. Um, I hear even Americans, Elon Musk, for instance, <laughs> who, who say, well, you should allow Russians to take a part of your territory and then we end the war and everybody's happy. I think this is a very dangerous policy, but um, I hear a lot of this thinking also around here. And certainly, you know, we shouldn't forget what happened at the beginning of World War II. First came Czechoslovakia, then came Poland, and then, then, then you know, Russians and Germans made Ribbentrop-Molotov pact. And, you know, what happened? So 
we must be very, very firm, I think. European Union has a chance to be firm because the European Union has, I don't know, 500 million people. It, it's, it's, a, it's a huge piece of world population, plus Americans. That, that's a gigantic um, factor. So we'll see what happens. As far as, as the war is concerned, I think that uh, Ukrainians for the moment will not be bogged down, will not end to fight. I guess that at one moment people will get tired of war. You can continue fighting. Look at World War II, four years, five years maybe, but then you know, people get tired, you get exhausted, you, you have n nothing to do. Um, so we may be on the threshold of, of a serious crisis. This was The Political Periscope. The podcast is released every Thursday at 7 p.m. 